Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. Most mammals communicate vocally, but humans are unique in their ability to communicate using spoken language. Humans are not born with an innate capacity to speak and understand language, but rather learn this skill as the brain develops. The complex interplay between neurobiology, genetics, and the environment shape vocal learning, but scientists do not understand the full extent to which each of these contribute to language development or to speech and language disorders. A recent study by a team of genetics and communication sciences researchers showed an association between specific gene variants and the susceptibility to develop early childhood onset stuttering. In this episode, Iris Kolbatsky from the Scientists' Creative Services team spoke with Jennifer Piper Bilo, an associate professor of medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center's Division of Genetic Medicine, and Dylan Pruitt, a postdoctoral fellow in her lab, to learn more. Developmental stuttering, a speech disorder that typically appears between the ages of two and five, is known to run in families. It is also incredibly variable in terms of who is affected, the disorder's severity, its progression, and its response to intervention. Piper Bilo applies computational and statistical analysis to gather insight into stuttering's genetic susceptibility factors. Together with Dylan Pruitt, who has a background in hearing and speech sciences and lived experience, as an individual who stutters, Bilo and her team are filling in the gaps about a neurological disorder whose genetic basis is poorly understood. In doing so, they are shattering stigmas and paving the way for future treatments. I have always wanted to devote my life to a career path that would help us understand human health and human disease and to improve quality of life for individuals. I'm very much motivated to understand the genetic ideology of traits from a precision medicine standpoint. It would be a dream to identify different subtypes of stuttering driven by different kinds of disruptions to particular molecular pathways that could then be theoretically treated. Understanding the genetic basis of a trait like speech provides an amazing window into something that is poorly understood while being one of the landmark features of being human. To me, there's a big picture evolutionary interest in understanding how speech emerged. And by understanding the dysregulation of speech, we can gain insights into the genetic architecture of fluent speech, potentially opening up avenues for therapeutics that could be impactful in the lives of people who are seeking care. There is a tremendous amount of misinformation that stuttering is caused by early childhood trauma that a family that gets divorced can influence a child's development in their fluency of speech. That if you force a left-handed person to be right-handed, that you could cause stuttering in a child. That this kind of cultural mythology can be really damaging. Parents internalize a lot of guilt or blame. Individuals who stutter internalize a lot of guilt or shame. One of the most actually important aspects in my mind to the research that we're doing is to show that this is a genetic trait no different than your height. As part of who we are biologically, 
that's nobody's fault how tall we are, for example. If we could help to raise awareness, we could reduce some of the stigma and some of the unfortunate discrimination and disparities faced by people who stutter. Individuals who stutter experience repetitions, blocks, and prolongations of speech elements, which can severely affect verbal communication and quality of life. While stuttering runs in families, approximately 60% of individuals who stutter have a family member who stutters. Scientists have not identified specific genes that cause these abnormal speech sounds. They also do not know which genetic risk factors predispose some people to developmental stuttering. Bilo and Pruitt are interested in identifying such risk factors and understanding how they might affect the underlying neurobiological mechanisms of speech and language. I study stuttering, and I also stutter myself. Growing up stuttering, I was always interested in questions re- 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 related to st- stuttering and found that there was a lot of, of gaps in what we know. I was always interested in science and research. And I had a lot of questions about the, gen- the genetics of uh, stuttering. One of my professors in stuttering said, hey, you know, the, this is a very new area of, of research. There are some papers out there, but it's really just the, the, beginning stage, the beginning stages. And you as an undergrad in the biosciences probably know a lot more about genetics than people in the field of hearing and speech. That was mind-blowing. Understanding the genetics of stuttering provides a biological ex, ex, explanation for a trait that is not very well understood. In that gap of knowledge comes a lot of misunderstandings about what stuttering is, what causes it, and what might be a therapeutic approach towards it. Anything that we can point to that gives us a broader perspective into the mechanistic causal effects. I, I, I get really excited about that. By scanning and comparing markers across the genomes of large population cohorts, researchers use genome-wide association studies to identify genetic variations that are correlated with a specific disorder or trait. When researchers observe a genetic feature more often in people with a disorder of interest compared to the general population, they conclude that this feature is correlated to the disorder. Identifying these associations allows scientists to improve detection, prevention, and treatment. Below, Pruitt and their team conducted a genome-wide association study to compare the frequency of genetic features between cohorts of individuals who stutter and those who do not stutter. They discovered one genome-wide significant protective gene variant and 15 other loci that were of potential significance. We spent nearly a decade working with speech and language clinics around the globe to enroll participants who volunteered, who either stuttered as children or stutter persistently into adulthood. We matched those individuals by age and sex and other ancestral components to people in Vanderbilt's large biobank, BioView. And we excluded from the biobank anybody who had an evidence of a speech or language pathology. So you end up having a pool of people that is close to 100% of true cases, and then a pool of people that should have population prevalence like 1% or or less of stuttering. And we look for the frequency of the genetic differences between those two groups. We found a genome-wide significant locus 
that was associated with stuttering. This is a very preliminary study because our sample size was relatively small, about 13 or 1400 people who stutter. It actually requires much, much larger sample sizes to get reproducible and robust findings from a genome-wide association study. What this study really did show unambiguously was that stuttering genetically looks much more like a complex disease trait. It looks much more like diabetes risk or height or weight or other complex human features that are affected by many, many different sites in the genome, as well as a host of environmental influences. This is a really important finding because in the decades of time spent investigating genetic impacts on stuttering, nearly every single study looked at families and treated stuttering as if it was a monogenic disorder. When in fact, stuttering is a trait that looks to be extremely complex genetically. Bilo and Pruitt have used this study as a springboard to expand their research to larger cohorts. In collaboration with 23andMe, a publicly accessible genetic testing service provider, Bilo's team has increased their sample sizes to approximately 100,000 self-reported individuals who stutter and a million controls. In doing so, they are generating new opportunities to deepen their understanding of stuttering's genetic underpinnings. Among the questions they continue to ask are whether the risk factors for developmental stuttering affect men and women differently, and whether knowledge of adult-onset stuttering following neurotrauma can provide insight into the neurobiological basis of the disorder. The next step in my mind is to understand the sexual dimorphism of this trait. Girls and boys are much more at parity in terms of their prevalence of stuttering at around age 8 to 10 or so. More often than not, girls recover while men continue to study persistently. We don't understand anything yet about why that happens, why the rate of recovery in girls and boys is so different. We definitely also don't understand there are distinct characteristics in the genome that influence whether a person will recover or not. To to get large sample sizes to begin to dissect these effects is going to be a really exciting challenge for the future. Understanding the role that sex plays in stuttering could have a huge impact. In addition to that, I think what I've realized is that our electronic health record database that we are utilizing captures not just stuttering that develops in childhood in 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 child in childhood, but it also has a lot of documentation surrounding adult onset stuttering, which is related but distinct from developmental stuttering. Adult onset stuttering is also called neurogenic stuttering. And it can be related to traumatic brain injury, stroke, a lot of other kind of neurological events. And it's been recognized in the field to a small degree. But what we've found is that it actually is much more frequent than what we've previously known. The reason why it is not more thoroughly documented is because it's relatively transient. It will occur for a matter of weeks or months and then resolve. And often following a, tra- a, tra- a traumatic brain injury 
other medical events, the stuttered speech is treated more as a symptom rather than a distinct condition. There's a lot of opportunity to provide the field with a thorough, rigorous investigation. As part of this rigor, researchers exploring the underlying genetics of speech and language use a variety of models and techniques. Neuronal mapping is an approach to studying brain anatomy that links specific functions to corresponding brain areas. Scientists may one day use neuronal mapping to map the different linguistic choices that people who stutter make while speaking to different brain regions in real time. Neuronal mapping may also provide an interesting perspective about the overlap between known elements of the genetics of language and emerging insights about stuttering genetics. Researchers also use animal models to understand human speech and language, but these are limited even though vocal learning evolved at the same time in various species. Gene knockout or knock-in models provide interesting information, but given the complexity of human speech and language, studying vocalization patterns in animal models can only serve as an approximation. For example, vocalization in birds or mice is very different from human speech because, in part, these animals lack the advanced vocal anatomy and brain power needed for human speech. Moreover, stuttering is not a rare monogenic disease, so knocking out a specific gene does not lead to the disorder's development. There are monogenic forms of common complex disease, and there's absolutely single genes where if you have a mutation in them, you can have a genome that suggests that a person would be very tall, but then the person is phenotypically very short because of a single mutation that offsets the rest of the factors of their genome. And in that regard, sequencing is really valuable for understanding the impact of rare variants on a disorder. However, in the case of stuttering, this is a trait where almost nothing has been known about what the entire genome as a whole is contributing. In the future, sequencing studies will be very informative to understanding features that impact stuttering risk. But today, I think that the place where we need to continue to invest our efforts is in understanding the genomic risk factors, the the common risk factors that are explaining the bulk of the population prevalence of this trait. Because what we've shown in these studies is that rare mutations do not explain the general prevalence of this trait in populations. Using genomics to understand the basic signs of stuttering will help researchers like Bilo and Pruitt identify clinically relevant therapeutic targets for stuttering. Given that there is currently no known cure for the disorder, clinical interventions that address the underlying genetic, neurobiological, or behavioral aspects of stuttering would present an exciting breakthrough. However, among the community of individuals who stutter, not everybody seeks a cure. There are people who do seek out help for stuttering, and we have tools to currently assist them in in that, but in recognition of there not being a cure for stuttering, a lot of people choose to live proudly as somebody who stutters. And that can have a huge positive impact in someone's life when they are able to communicate what they want to and be comfortable and confident doing that whether they stutter or not. The therapeutic aspect could be an option or it could be merely an an explanation that we use to understand a little bit more about the development in speech 
and ways in which that might go awry if we know that there's some specific window of neuroplasticity for different areas of brain related to speech and here's an intervention that might help that would be a really cool path to explore as Bilo and Pruitt continue to push the boundaries of knowledge, their passion and commitment to their work are the driving force behind their progress. Bilo sees her role as a computational and statistical genomics researcher as a calling and places equal importance on mentoring the next generation of scientists. Pruitt weaves a seamless vision that incorporates his roles as a researcher and community member of individuals who stutter. Together, Bilo and Pruitt integrate cutting edge genomic science with a deeply humanistic approach to both empower individuals who stutter and offer hope for those community members who seek new future treatment options. It's really magical that I get to call this my job when really I'm just working with the most brilliant people in the world and uh, getting to solve these kinds of questions. It's really phenomenal. And I, 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 I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else to be able to have an influence on launching that next era of scientists is just the coolest feeling in the world. And so people like Dylan are a huge part of what gets me up in the morning. He's going to become the face of the future of this field. And I'm just thrilled about it to have somebody with his passion and energy and expertise spearheading the next generation of studies is going to be phenomenal. I originally felt unique for pursuing stuttering research as somebody who stutters, but I've found that uh, that's actually quite common. It was very isolating at times in high school and college, talking with peers and friends, and they're not really being an understanding about what stuttering is and how that might impact me. In graduate school, I was surrounded by people that even if they didn't stutter themselves, were very famil familiar with stuttering. That really helped me feel more comfortable embracing that about myself and understanding that if 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 I am going to be doing this, that is going to be a, a, a huge part of the job is to stutter and still communicate clear, clear, clearly. There's a toast a toast a toastmasters group at Vanderbilt that is exclusively people who who stutter. And that's been an awesome kind of community of people from all diff, diff, different ages that are coming together to just become more confident in the way that they speak. I also volunteer as a camp counselor for children who stutter uh, called Camp 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 Talks teaching and learning with kids who who stutter. I really wish that I had a similar experience as a young child being surrounded by other kids who 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 stutter and having just that recognition that I'm not alone. All of that I think is really helpful within my research to have a whole community of people that I feel responsible towards. This is not just my personal feelings or just purely the scientific pursuit. This is impacting a lot of people, a lot of people that I care about. That's been both personally and professionally enriching. 
I am pass I am passionately pursuing a field of of study that means a lot to me. And that I feel is a privilege. I had questions about this growing up and I'm trying to an to answer some of those questions now. I'm passionate about a lot of things and so sometimes I feel like wow I chose this very niche and specific field but at the end of the day I I I think that what I bring to that is unique and so it's um empowering to feel that if I wasn't doing this I'm not sure that that could be directly replaced by someone else Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Iris Kolbotsky. Please join us next month as we learn about 3D genome architecture across the tree of life. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.